one of my favorite quotes, and I say this to all my players and everybody I do camps with, is from Bruce Lee, absorb what is useful, discard what is useless, and add what is essentially your own. I've done that from day one, and I've, I've talked to you about this, Mark. I watched Stein. When I first came on tour, I'm watching Stein. I'm watching Todd Rogers, Dax, uh, Karch. I'm watching all these guys and the positions they play, and I kind of take a little bit from each of them over the years. Like, I didn't have a pokey. Stein's pokey was amazing. So I put that in one year. The next year, I learned how to hand dig, you know. Mm. The next year after that, I learned how to do something else. And it was like, for the first five, six years, I always took something else and really worked on it that year. And it just added into my game. And then I made everything else my own. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Better at Beach Volleyball podcast. My name is Mark Burrick, of course, with my buddy Brandon Joyner. And today we have a special treat. Super excited. I'm actually in his house. He can hear me through the echoes. Uh, we're training with him all week here in Nashville at Hayden Beach, his new facility, which you guys are going to learn all about. Two-time Olympian, 49 years old and still crushing it. And uh, now he's an entrepreneur and he's just been winning for a really long time. And he's an absolute beacon for everybody who wants to play at a high level, wants to be athletic at a high level and do it for a long time. So without further ado, we're going to get into it. John Hayden, welcome and thank you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. So people are going to be pouring in here, but we're going to kind of fire right into some of the questions that, that I want to know, and then maybe some of the fans can can jump in with their chat. So guys, if you do have any John Hyden-specific questions, throw them in the chat. Uh, if you're on YouTube, if you are on our Facebook channel, go ahead and just start firing them into the chat, and we'll see if we can answer at the end. John, you just moved, I'm not going to say just, but a couple of years ago, you moved to Tennessee from Southern California. So I want to hear a lot about that because now you've started Hyden Beach. We just played, we just had a few practice days at it with six courts. It's right next to a big athletic complex. So tell me why you made the move from California to Tennessee first. That'll be my first question. Uh, you know, actually there's a lot of reasons. Um, but you know, the main thing is it's expensive in California. You know, I lived in a condo for 17 years and we had two kids in two bedrooms and, you know, they're getting to the age where they needed their own rooms and we couldn't really afford a house anywhere in California at the time. So we started looking for a place that we could afford and a place our kids can kind of go out in the neighborhood on their own and play and come home late at night and stuff like that. And, you know, we found it here in Franklin, Tennessee, which is awesome. What made you look in Tennessee? Did somebody invite you? Did you have an idea? Did did Hayden Beach exist before your actual city, your destination existed? No. So I started talking about leaving California and, you know, we had a two year plan. We we're going to leave um, before my daughter hit seventh grade. She was in fifth at the time. And a couple of our friends mentioned a couple places here in Nashville, uh, Spring Hill, Brentwood, Franklin. They were thinking about moving their business there. And so we just jumped on that train. We didn't really know where we wanted to go, but that was the first mention of something. We decided to go take a look, came out here a couple of times. And, you know, it's funny because if they moved and they were moving their business, we would have had a bunch of friends and family also moving. But that kind of fell through for them. And we were mm -hmm. like, well, we're on our way. We're going. And so we came out here. Funny thing, my, my wife's best friend um, in L.A., decided, well, if you're going, I'm going. And she has a couple of kids and she actually got here about two weeks before us. And so, you know, we ended up getting some friends out and then Robin's family slowly started moving out here. So we, we got a nice little group out here now. Nice. You guys are the settlers Man. of the East. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. the dream. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are you originally from California? Is that where you grew up? Yes. I, I was born in Pensacola, Six months later, I was in San Diego. So okay. I grew up in San Diego my whole life. And you played at San Diego State University for your indoor career. And then that transitioned into two indoor Olympics. Mm -hmm. So, you know, talking about making the transition, were you the type of kid that were you playing volleyball constantly in high school? Because I know for a lot of the country, and you're probably experiencing this right now, but like in Tennessee, boys volleyball is it's just hard to find for a lot of people was that 
easy for you and going into San Diego State, which they don't have a men's program anymore. Now, what was the transition like going from high school and then saying like, yeah, I'm definitely going to play in college or, or did it just kind of fall in your lap? Well, <clears throat> I, I was planning on playing uh, in college indoor volleyball and trying for the Olympic team. You know, that that was set a long time ago when I first started volleyball and following it. So beach wasn't in my in my life. Like I went to the beach being in San Diego, but I never really played growing up at all. After I kind of had my indoor career playing the two Olympics, I played overseas a couple of times. And then the whole plan was for Robin, my wife and I to move back, get married, move to LA and start playing on the sand. And so I basically started my sand career at 29. You know, I kind of followed Karch's path. He played indoor, except he grew up playing. So I followed the two Olympics, even though he, you know, medal did very well. He, he definitely has the accolades over me. But then he went and played overseas indoor a couple of times, and then he came back and played beach. And that's exactly, you know, what I did, just not with the, the top results he had. <laughs> that's a tough, tough shoes to fill or tough mm -hmm. act to follow. Big cards. But uh, I'm sure there's a ton of people that are waiting hoping that you'll coach them or somehow be able to lead the next generation into beach and maybe indoor. So I do kind of want to talk about what the future of Hyde and beach is going to become. Uh, are you going to just focus on your juniors Academy? Are you going to run camps and uh, do you have opportunities for adults or kids to come learn from you? Yeah, we have all sorts of programs here. You know, the main thing is the juniors, high school girls, even younger than that. We, we try and get them in middle school, you know, loving the game. That way they're playing with us all the way up through high school. Most of the girls are looking to play in college. So, you know, we have like an elite style program for the girls, helping them out with college recruiting, just getting better. We run juniors tournaments. And then on the adult side, we run a lot of adult tournaments, whether it be double uh, A, A, double B, um, co-ed, stuff like that. But we have all sorts of training for adults too. You know, my coaches are really good at it. The actual community is really nice. Everybody's su super cool, but it's a small community. So you know, we're trying to build those adult leagues and adult clinics coming out. Uh, we also run like high elite camps um, for girls that are kind of committed to college already. Hmm. So, you know, we put those together and we only take a select few. We take 12 only because there's two coaches with us at those times. Those all run. We just ran one this weekend for 16 new elite girls. Mm -hmm. And I run them with a a woman, Nicole Christner, she's a coach at S3 who kind of brought me on to help coach with her. That's S3 so, in a, at the Atlanta club, right? Yeah, S3 in Atlanta. Okay. So, you know, words out. And when we run these camps, they fill up fast. Um, we get a waiting list too, but we only allow 12 girls. So that way we keep it low and they get plenty of time with us, plenty of one-on-one -on -one coaching. And we do a lot of video in that. So we're starting to run more of those and we travel for those too. So we've run a couple at Iden Beach and then we'll run them in Florida, you mm. know, just run them anywhere people are looking to get them run. And then at our facility, we're also running more of those type things, not as, uh, not as only 12 players, but we're opening it up to more girls to run kind of an elite style practices and camps. Okay. Well, maybe this is a question for uh, your wife, but how would somebody sign up? If they wanted to come to an elite camp or they wanted to try or apply, uh, would they just uh, shoot a, an Instagram message to Hayden Beach on Instagram? Or is there an email that they should specifically go to if they want to get training from you? So, yes, that's a knock on me being technologically <laughs> oh, We're getting there. I've got, I've got <laughs> we're getting there. <laughs> I got that. Um, but so so when we do the we can you can always go on HaydenBeach.com to look at our camps and clinics the specialized ones that when we're running kind of the elite camps, those are something we usually do word of mouth and we'll put it out to the girls. And then we, we, we always have to find a date that we can both work, Nicole and I, and then, uh, and then just put it out to most of the girls we know um, have been to these camps before. There's a big group of them. And then we get a lot of people asking us because we like to do it directly if we set up a link, then anybody can kind of sign up. 
So it's more kind of word of mouth and, uh, you know, keeping it, keeping it more invite only type. Okay. So if, if we've seen you or someone can vouch for you to get in into those elite camps, then by all means, we're going to take a look at you. That's awesome. You talk about getting somebody to the next level and, and all right, they're already in D1 or, or playing college ball. What do you think maybe the two most important things that separates a non-committed or, or a non-collegiate level junior from somebody who's going to do it. So what's the the two characteristics that you think are the most important as a player or maybe even as a person that would get you to that elite level, the college level? I, I think a lot of it is a uh, drive. Like these girls that are already committed, there are uh, most of them that are already committed now understand that now's the time you have to work harder. You don't, you don't just get committed and then, oh, I'm not showing up for practice because I've already made it, blah, blah, blah. Mm. A lot of these girls are like, now the work begins, and which is great. They understand that. Um, a lot of people don't understand that. When I played with Sean Scott years ago, we became the number one team on the AVP. And, and my mindset went to now we're hunted. People want to come after us. Everybody is out to beat us. Now we got to work harder. So a lot of these young girls already have that mentality. They're not letting up. They're hitting the practice even harder. They're hitting the big tournaments and not just laying off and taking it easy. So drive is definitely a huge thing, you know, having that commitment to want to be better. The second thing is, you know, the coaching. I found there's not a lot of elite coaching around. And unfortunately, at a lot of these, a lot of these clubs or wherever you're playing, is a lot of play during practice. It's like 80% play and 20% drills. That doesn't really do anything for anybody. Like, how are you learning with 20 minutes of drills or whatever? So mine's exactly opposite. I'm doing like an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes of drills, and then we put it in and play at the end. So I think it has a lot to do with the clubs and their style of coaching there. Mm. To get these girls to understand, you got to drill, drill, drill to get better. And, you know, when the girls come to my place, that's what they're getting. I expect them to get better as we go. And we don't just don't just play the whole time because that's not how you're going to get better. Would you, you know, I, I hear you say that. And then I also hear uh, Stokos and Dodd kind of ragging on us uh, at some practices saying, like, you guys show up for two hours. You know, and back when they were playing, we would show up to the beach six, seven, eight hours, play all day. And, and we were the real athletes, you know, and you guys are <laughs> don't know what you're doing with your two hour set. How do you contest them or that notion of well, play? Versus I mean, play? it was great to have a five million dollar Miller like contract all going to the players. I mean, Mark, you would you would want that right now, right? I'm ready. Plenty of money to go around, plenty of sponsorship money to go around, you know. Guys are just way more athletic these days, and you got to train for that. I mean, what was the biggest blocker back then? Six five. Like those guys never went against Phil, or Mole, or Furbringer, or you know all these guys that are six eight and huge. It's a different game. It's like the NBA is a different game than it was 30, 40 years ago. Everything's evolving. It's getting much more athletic, and guys need to uh, guys understand that. You're not going to get away with just playing these days. So it's a different game. And there's, there's a few older, older guys that understand that. And a lot of guys that don't. And you're always going to find that through all the generations. So it's kind of, kind of like the same old debate. Mm -hmm. I got a question to kind of go off that a little bit. I hear you talking a lot about girls and especially everywhere. Like even here in Hermosa, when we run our kids class, it's all of them are girls. On the East Coast, when I would run clinics and camps, it was mainly females. And I agree with you. Like, girls are so driven. Whenever they want to learn something, doesn't matter what age they are, they're going to pick it up. Now it's easy because girls have something to strive for as far as the NCAA, where they can go play in college. But for the boys' side, do you think that we're still an older crowd you know, like when you're looking at the the guys breaking in, they're in the 24s, 25s, and there's not that many of them. But on the girl side, it's starting to kind of overload a lot of the big tournaments. Do you think that that's something it'll, it'll just take time? Or do you think that it, it's a mind mindset shift for for males? Or like, what what do you think is holding back the, the male side as far as like the drive as far as youngsters yeah. go? No, it's Title Nine. 
Plain and simple, it's Title IX. I mean, the guys don't have anything to look for to go to college for, right? Maybe you have a couple club teams, and most of them probably in California, maybe Florida. But why would you play in high school sand volleyball to go on to college for what? There's nothing there. So it's always going to be a problem as long as Title IX's there. You know, they're just not going to build. It's like Mark said, San Diego State, my men's indoor volleyball team doesn't even have a team anymore because it got axed from title nine. So just, that, just to pause you there, just in case anybody doesn't know what title nine is for NCAA title nine is the instituted that we have to have equal funding, equal amount of dollars for uh, male and female sports. And so one of the major debate issues there is that there is American football and American yeah. football has 65, 55 scholarships, more than that, full scholarships. like 85, Jeez. like 85 scholarships. And so on women's sports, there's nothing that kind of balances that out. So they have to add a lot more teams to add a lot more scholarships. And if your school wants to have a football team, it needs to have maybe four or five different women's sports with full scholarships and then some of the lower tiered sports like men's volleyball like wrestling sometimes hockey uh they they end up getting cut because of that which is an unfortunate side effect of title nine which not knocking title nine but it still has to be revisited every time because yeah we've created so many opportunities for women's sports and now we see boom we've blown up in women's sports and that's great but something has to happen and and i you know i played football for a year in college and was you know one of the beneficiaries of like having available male sports but something has to in my opinion has to change about that scenario the fact that football is more of a religion than a sport in the u.s and that so many guys teams gets cut and for volleyball yeah you have nothing to look forward to if you want to play indoor there are 21 22 schools that have four and a half scholarships per team and a women's volleyball team uh has 12 full scholarships you know and they have 250 maybe 300 schools that are offering all those full scholarships so that's what title nine is it's the equal funding for male and female sports for those of you who don't know but sorry to interrupt john well yeah there's just there's just no women's sport that there's no other sport but women's sport that has 90 players on it right as a team like football does so if you just kind of cut out football and make it its own thing we would be okay but i don't see them ever doing that so again with the boys side it's it's unfortunate but i don't ever see it growing like the women's side so which is great for our women i mean we have tons of good women's teams coming up i mean Mm -hmm. We should be dominating the world pretty soon or being in you know lots of teams in the top 10. So, yeah, I agree I mean, with if, that. <laughs> if anything, it's showing that it works, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. like just giving them that college sport and and how quickly. I mean, the fact that I think Sarah and Kelly this past Olympics were the youngest team to ever play in the Olympics and that they were a couple years out of college, you know, and uh-huh. so and, and now they're getting beat by other college kids, <laughs> yeah. which is it's just crazy. Well, let's um kind of shift the conversation into there's a <laughs> it's not a rumor. John Hyden has a beef with social media. Doesn't love it. <laughs> I really appreciate that you that you've come and that you're live streaming and that you're able to to get the link. But so my my question is is two part. Number one, what's your beef with social media? And number two, uh, knowing that and knowing that like people are trying to create brands of themselves before they win a tournament. What's happening? What do you think is wrong or needs to improve with today's up and coming athlete? Okay. First of all, Mark's creating this word beef with social media. <laughs> yeah, I was like, who well, submitted this question? <laughs> let's, get, let's get that straight. Um, not necessarily beef. I'm just, you know, I'm old school. A lot of the social media is, I want to say, and it's not just this stuff like, like you do. You produce content or the McKibbins produce content, stuff like that. But with social media, there's so much fake out there. And I do not like that. Having a young daughter, having a young son, looking on social media, seeing everybody's happy and everybody's perfect. It just creates this this fake, fake world out there. And that I have a huge problem with. 
you, you never know what's real anymore. I mean, Mark, we were discussing the VR thing on the Oscars this morning. Was oh, it yeah. real or is it because Hollywood is dying that they need to be talked about? Right. So that could go either way. Who knows if it's fake or real? And that's half the stuff out there these days. Another thing I, I find is, you know, in our sport and in other sports, it's more important to have followers than be good. Putting in the hard work on the sand just isn't quite there as much as making sure you're filming everything. And that to me, just like I said, I'm old school. Hard work pays off. And that's kind of what I'm all about. So that's not only that, but I've just... I'm an older player. <laughs> Technology came in after I was in my prime. So I'm just really not into it. And I have no desire to learn how to use it. That's why my wife had to get me on with you today. <laughs> <laughs> and she's, she's great. Uh, one of the people we'll get into, but surrounding yourself with amazing people is uh, one of the keys that uh, I've heard her say. I've heard you say a few times. But how does... So this might not be a great question for all of our audience, but when people, when there's such little prize money and you can only be, you know, top three or top four, and that's the only place that you can make a living. How does a young up and coming athlete or somebody who's, who's finishing 17th to to fifth in the country, how do they fund themselves or should they fund themselves or should they just ignore all financials and dive in as, as hard as they can to volleyball? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, w with the social media, you're able to find those funds sometimes, people to help you out. Um, I mean, the GoFundMe type stuff. I know they're doing a lot of it for the U.S. players trying to uh, travel and stuff like that. Uh, I think that's a great avenue. Going back to too much and not training enough, you know, it's two different things. Are you training hard enough? Are you doing what it takes to be in those top teams? Or are you doing a little too much social media type stuff? I, I think there's a fine line there that you have to accommodate both. For me, when I started out, I was in the same issue. You know, a lot of guys and girls coach on the side. They're trying to find ways to train a lot more. And when the money's good, you find a ton of better players. I mean, through 2005 to 2011 or 10 and a half, when the money was really good, guys were training a lot more and getting after it because there's more money out there. For me, when I first started, I started my own businesses just so I could train on my own time. It was like, go to the beach and then get in the car. And already people are calling me. I have messages. I got to get home. I got to do paperwork. I got to get ready to do what I do. You know, so I started my own businesses to do that. And a lot of, you know, a lot of guys got to go to work right after they train or they can't train because they got to work or, you know, and it's it's finding something that you can do if you want to make it, then you got to put in the time and find something on the side to do, which isn't easy. I mean, everybody everybody's trying to do it, so mm. it's not simple, especially these days with uh, inflation and the cost of living. And I mean, it, it's incredible. Mm. And uh, I know your your first job or what you were doing while you were on tour in the, in the business. Do you want to share with everybody? <laughs> well, I, I started with Christmas light installations. So I, I was doing that. And I only did it for a year. I created a business um, and it, it was actually going to be really nice and lucrative. And I ran a crew, but I, I did all the selling and then I ran the crew to put everything up. Whereas, you know, my brother runs a business too. Like um, he actually started it. And you need two people. You need someone selling and somebody installing. So when I did it, I was working nonstop, but I was getting it done. But it it made me not like Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> and I love Christmas time. I love it. I found myself driving down the street going, oh, that tree's 300. No, that house would be about 500. You know, and it's like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> So, so then I sold that business and the next year I did, uh, installing basically fake grass, you know, synthetic turf. And so I did that for a year. And, um, during that year I picked up a big sponsor and was able to sell that business and just concentrate on volleyball. So I got really lucky there by picking up a big sponsor. Is that rockstar? And, and uh, no Jamba juice. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's where Johnny Jamba came in from, uh, from Geeter. <laughs> but, uh, 
Yeah. So I, I got lucky there, you know, I, I worked hard and I was able to pick up that sponsor and then focus full time on volleyball from there on. At what point do you think that that balance needs to shift for somebody? Like how long should they be trying to improve before they say, you know what? Okay. I've given enough hours to volleyball um, and still haven't hit the results that I want, but how long should they say, you know what? Okay. I've, I've given six hours a day to volleyball and four hours a day to working. When do you think they should shift from six to four? Or is that even a question or do you just say, do what you love? I I think do what you love. I mean, if you still want to compete and you still want to get after it and you're just waiting for that big break. I mean, we all need that big break. It's like, you know, you're trying to upgrade partners is what you're trying to do. I started off and, you know, it was uh, Chip McCaw. He was my setter on the national team. And we started off playing. I had no business traveling and playing FIVB. I didn't know anything about beach volleyball, but he drew me in and I did it. And then I realized I need a blocker. Like we both split block, but we're both not very good at it. Mm. So I need a blocker. So I upgraded the next year to somebody who was bigger. And then after that, the next year, someone that knew a little more about volleyball, that was a blocker. And it's like, you're always trying to upgrade and get that chance, which is difficult. People don't want to give you that chance because they barely know you or you don't have points. So it's tough to break. It's really tough to break in. And it took me, took me five years. Uh, It took me about four years to finally win a tournament. And, you know, when I got, I actually, my third or fourth year, Mike Lambert picked me up for the Chicago event and I was done. Andy Witt and I were playing and we decided not to go to college. And, And back then I was young and well, kind of young, <laughs> but I, okay. Relatively young to what I am now, but, uh, <laughs> I'm into two weeks of donuts and beers. And Mike Lambert gives me a call and says, Karch is out his partner at the time his last term of the year. You're the only one I can pick up because everybody signed up. And I'm like, dude, man, I I'm like on beer and donuts for two weeks. He, he's like, dude, you got to play. So I got down to the beach one time. And then I showed up in Chicago and we lost in the finals in a three game match. But people all of a sudden saw how I can play the game, which was great. And even on even with that little gut I had. <laughs> so, you know, and that was a huge break for me to be able to get Mike and, sh- you know, showcase my skills. And then from there on, it was like, OK, this guy can play. So I had a few more options. So that was a huge break. And not everybody gets. You know, somebody just dropping out and you get lucky to pick up someone you play well. So, you know, you never know how it's going to happen, but you're always trying to play with someone better than you. I think we need to let it be known that that diet will not work for a lot of people. (laughs) I've been trying it for the past six years and uh, (laughs) I had to swear off the donuts and beer. (laughs) High protein donuts. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So then we're we're talking about partners then. Um, You said you went through a number that you loved playing with but uh, never got a chance to maybe show what you can do behind a high level guy, you know, and, and get it done. And then you did, and it, and it opened it up. What are, you've had a number of really fruitful relationships, uh, partnerships, and then a couple that, that kind of fizzled out. So what do you think you specifically look for in a partner? What is, what is the number one way that a player can market themselves to the, to the volleyball market and say, look at me, I'm an eligible bachelor or bachelorette, and you should pick me up? What are the skills or the mindset that they should have? I think they got to be willing to learn and take criticism. Um, I think that's a huge thing. There's a couple, like Try, when I picked up Try, I, I didn't even know who he was. I got a text from uh, this guy with TRI. I thought it was Tree, like everybody else. <laughs> He, he had the Hawaii connection with Sean Scott. He's like, Sean, I'd like to do some training. You know, can I get in with you guys? And Sean's like, oh, I'm retiring. Here's John's number. So I get this, this thing from Tree. And I'm like, hey, Tree, uh, I'm on my way down to Orange County. We can get a practice in, blah, blah, blah. And so since Sean was gone, you know, I didn't know who I was going to play with. And Tri was super athletic when I saw him, but very raw, like, I know he grew up playing the game, but there was a lot he had to learn. And after practice, even the first one, he's over there writing down everything he just did at practice. And so I hadn't said, I'm going to play with you or anything. We just went to a practice. 
And I'm driving with my wife afterwards. I'm like, she's like, what do you think of that guy? And I'm sitting there going, you know, he's as, as athletic as Sean Scott plays like him, but just doesn't know. Mm. And so I, I caught up a, a try again and he was playing on playing with somebody else, but I went down and had another practice with him. And after that practice, I was like, man, I think we can do something here with you. And you know, that's a, that's a big leap because she hadn't really even played on tour. He was super raw. Nobody even knew him, but I could see that in him. And the fact that he sat down after this practice and started writing stuff down. And then for the whole first year, that's what he was doing every day. He would write stuff down after our practices. I mean, who doesn't want a guy like that, you know, and just sitting there looking in your eyes the whole time going, okay, okay, let's work on. Yeah. You know, I got this. And so something like that is really hard to come by. You know, a lot of guys have big egos. A lot of guys think they know it all already. And, or they're set in their ways. And that's kind of tough to deal with. Um, I'm probably one of those guys. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, that, that's what I look for. Someone who's athletic can always change their game. If they're not that athletic, then they're kind of stuck in their own thing. And, you know, luckily I have a new guy. Uh, I think you guys know him, Logan Weber. He's been who, on a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who, who is who is athletic and makes great moves. And I, I'm super stoked to have him and see what we can do. So I absolutely love that answer. I think, uh, you, you know, most of the time when that answer gets at or when that question gets asked, you, you expect something along the lines of skill, you know, something. Oh, a good passer, a good setter side out. But hopefully for all everyone who's listening that point alone just the fact that he sat down after practice just to write down some notes that moment set up like now when we look at try he, he he's getting the opportunity to play in the olympics he's he's one of the top teams in the u.s you know and if he doesn't sit down after practice and start writing down in his notebook what he learned that day and you seeing that who knows where his career goes you know yeah. and that's uh i love that you said that that's that's very cool to hear and it's it's it kind of cements what try means to the volleyball world as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause he, he still does that. You can, you can tell that he's a, he's a player of the game. So I, yeah. I love that you said that. That's really cool. As far as new partners go, can you, I'm on another two parter number one for like a little candy for the AVP fans and F- FIVB fans. What is other than the try conversation that you had, like somebody gave you a call, you practice with them twice and you're like, huh, I like this. What do the conversations of, Hey, I might want to play with you this season. What is one conversation like that look like? Like when you called Darty or Darty called you, when you called Theo or Theo called you, was it a text message? Was it a phone call? Did you have the typical coffee? I've literally never sat down with any partner to have coffee to discuss whether we're playing together, but I keep hearing about it. I don't know <laughs> what coffee <laughs> shop everybody's going to. Uh, so, w- w- you know, kind of diagram one of those conversations. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, even with Logan, like you just put the feeler out. It is, it is pretty much a text or a phone message or whatever. And it's kind of like, Hey, I think we'd be a great fit. You want to, you want to talk about it. That's kind of where it is. Mm. And, you know, yeah, I'll get back to you or they call or whatever it is. Um, and you go from there. Uh, you want to train, you want to play. My conversation after we decide to play, which I have not had with Logan yet, is listen, this is a business and a partnership. Like you got to respect how hard I work. I'll respect what you do, but I, I, I would like you to work hard. And if things aren't working out, be a man, like give me a call and say, Hey, things aren't working out. I think maybe we should try different partners instead of just texting other guys or calling other guys and setting it up before you even, you know, before you even have a chat with your partner. So, you know, those are some of the conversations I've had in the past is like, be a man about it. Just step up and talk or, or a woman, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of cattiness out there about players and behind people's backs um, I just like to be straightforward and talk about it. So you sit down and you go over what you're looking for for the season, whether you want to play FIVB, whether you're playing just AVP, you know, some goals for sure. That's something I reached out to Logan about. What is he looking for? And, you know, whatever he comes to say, which, you know, that's between us, I'm just going to try and get him there. 
I'm going to try and help him get there the best I can, the best I, I've known. And he knows that. I let him know I'm I'm a hard worker. You're going to work hard. But if we have some sort of beef, let's talk about it. Let's chat about it. And and that's kind of how those coffee talks go. Has anybody ever turned John Hyden down? I have not been responded to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, All right. We've, and, we've and, and I like that. I like that. <laughs> I like to get on the court and use that as uh, you know, a little fire. So I like that. always good. Have you ever sat down with somebody and actually talked it out and then decided, you know what, um, your goals, my, my goals don't match up or what you want to do and how you want to play the game doesn't really match my game. Even though we might, we're both high level players, maybe just because we don't have the same style or thoughts on the game, we're not going to be a good match. Yeah. And I think that, but that comes more after you've played with that partner for a little bit. Yeah. Never usually before, you know, you're always given that chance and hopefully it works out, but you find out pretty quick when you're not on the same thought process. So that leads me to the next one. I've got, I've got it all written down. I've, I've been waiting for a long time to pick your brain, John. You've played with a few players now who you're, you're not in the same city as. Right. So you played with uh, Ricardo. Currently, you're playing with Logan. You moved to Tennessee two years ago. And, you know, then it was uh, Theo where Evie Matthews was coaching Theo. I think your style of game while they were in California and you were hanging out in Tennessee. So what are the most important conversations or activities that somebody should do if they're playing with somebody for the first time and they've never practiced together? The first thing I usually do is go over setting, how you want your set. I mean, that's kind of the most important. You walk out on that court and it's like, what are your sets during side out? You pass the ball good. What do you like? Um, and there's a couple, there should be a couple different types of sets. Uh, so that's the very first thing we do once we get on the court with any partner I have, figure out the setting. Cause once you get that down, you know, you're good for your side out then for sure you got to go into transition setting. You know, when I dig a ball here, how do you want this ball? And, you know, Mark, you've been practicing with me all week. You know how I like it compared to, you know, how you like it. So it's a completely different thing, how I run transition and how, you know, Logan now runs transition. And obviously I try and make him think ahead and go, okay, well, what about this? And see how you like it in transition. So for me, I'm always trying to, gear my partners towards my style of game but but it's very important i mean transition is huge if you're if you're high level transition you're going to win matches so you really got to figure out that set that setting um alpha dig or on two off a block whatever it is those those are the two biggest things i find getting with a partner and figuring out how do you settle it if you guys have completely opposing ideas i make them do exactly what i want them to do (laughs) (laughs) fair no you know what i i work on it a lot i work on it and you know again when they're more athletic you've seen us work on the on two and you've Mm -hmm. seen how logan hits the ball right same way try is super good at it um and and a lot of these players that i play with like that if you don't have the ball control to feed somebody onto, then don't make it part of your game or work on it constantly. Right. I work on it nonstop. I work on transition setting nonstop all the time. So I'm trying for me, it's going to be best if I can gear a player towards what I do. And then, you know, I've had partners in the past that aren't, weren't as good at it. It hurts my game. It hurts my side out. It hurts my transition, but then I have to accommodate them just because they can't get it done. The, they can't set that ball in transition. So, you know, it's more vanilla, I would say. I dig a ball, just put it up and down, and I'll come in and do the best I can. So I, yeah, I've been with players in the past, you know, that can't set that ball. Okay. And then you just change it and you find a way. I, to I just decide I got to be good then and do something else. So, okay. Yeah. I think I went through that, like a little bit of that with uh, maybe Kurt Topple while I was playing. I was like, man, this dude is a blocker. He can get up there and throw hands up and jump and he can side out like an animal. But then it came down to the setting and there are things that I wanted to do from a setting standpoint, a certain tempo or whatever that I wanted to run. And we just, we came up with a system where it's like, listen, I'm not going to go a relationship from you. I'm not going to try to have you measure things. Here's this spot on my net you just try to put it there 
with some light tempo and I will wait extra. I'm not expecting any sort of different plays to run and, and I'll do my best. And that was the guy that I had like my best finishes with, um, was him. And it's weird that he was probably uh, the lowest skilled setter that I played with. Um, but because I was just like, you know what, I'm just not going to expect a very dimed consistent set. And we were still able to make it work, even though it wasn't the exact system that I thought I was best at. We found a way to, to make it work. And it's, it's cool to hear from somebody who's been winning for so long that there is that little bit of compromise that you can make based on somebody's abilities after some trial and error. Yeah. I mean, you definitely have to, and that's what makes you and sets you apart from everybody else's, you know, I, if I can't run my thing, I still better be able to put it away with your thing. <laughs> so the style that you run for those, maybe some who aren't watching or, or don't know AVP quality, but like you have your own style. Like that's the Haydn. People refer to a, a style with your name and fast and maybe current fans don't realize it, but you were the first player to really embrace tempo and speed spread offense um, and do it at an extremely high level. Do you think, and we see everybody jump setting now and, and running spread and everything. Do you think that everybody should play your style or try to emulate it? Or should everybody try to find just their own game? What do you think is going to be the next four years or eight years of volleyball? Where should people be aiming? Uh, I, I think there I think there should be a piece of it. Um, not everybody can do it. Uh, and, and that's an issue. And not everybody should do it. I mean, if I have somebody who's six, eight and jumps, you know, super high, if I have Phil Dahlhauser, you know, Jake, put up a high ball, let them go hit high, right? Mm-hmm. They don't need to hit fast. Um, for me, the reason I created that uh, was I have short arms and I don't jump very high. So a block put up in front of me with a high ball isn't going to work for me all the time. And the percentages aren't that great. So why not? shoot the ball or fast sets and move it around. So there is no block. I can do that all day. So, you know, I had to create that for myself because I found, you know, my footwork was much faster. I could move around. I could pretty much hit any speed set I want. Um, It doesn't matter how fast it goes by. I will be able to get it down on the other side of the court. So that really worked for me. And most guys can't do that. Mm -hmm. You can practice, practice, see if you got it and, and run some of those plays. But in the end, you got to play your game, whatever that is. You know, one of my favorite quotes, and I say this to all my players and everybody I do camps with is from Bruce Lee, absorb what is useful, discard what is useless and add what is essentially your own. I've done that from day one. And I've, I've talked to you about this, Mark. I watched Stein when I first came on tour. I'm watching Stein. I'm watching Todd Rogers, Dax, uh, Karch. I'm watching all these guys in the positions they play, and I kind of take a little bit from each of them over the years. Like, I didn't have a pokey. Stein's pokey was amazing. So I put that in one year. The next year, I learned how to hand dig, you know. Mm. The next year after that, I learned how to do something else. And it was like, for the first five, six years, I always took something else and really worked on it that year. And it just added into my game. And then I made everything else my own. So, you know, people have limitations nobody's going to go out there and block like mole, right? We talked about this too. Like he is jumping 40 inches, he's six, eight, and he's making these crazy moves. Well, we're not going to teach certain players to block like mole because they physically can't, but you got to find your own way, your own way through it. That works for you, you know? So everybody's got to do their own thing. Try other things though. Try as many things as possible. I think that's interesting because I, you know, I kind of maybe anticipated an answer that resembles what happened with indoor. Once everybody started running speed, everybody started running speed and trying to go against only one blocker um, instead of two. And, you know, I half expected like maybe beach should always be trying to get an unbalanced blocker and an uh, off balance defender and try to get an open net. But uh, interesting to, to hear that you think that there's still room for people to be like, no, because there's two people on the court. If you side well, up just as well against somebody. You know, you know, a couple of years ago when I still played FIVB, Adrian and Rossi came out, the Italians, mm. and they started really over where like every single play was back this way, jump set, push out, blah, blah, blah. 
Well, it, it was about 65 degrees, big cloud cover. And I was like, you know what? As soon as the sun comes out and it's 85 degrees, how are you going to do that all day? How are you going to do that for a match? Mm. And, and it actually showed over time, it'll work against certain blockers. You know, Ryan, I was playing with Ryan at the time and they came out and crushed us. But Ryan doesn't move laterally so great, right? Mm. But you get a guy like Theo out there who's an indoor middle who moves his feet. It's a little different. You know, and plus that heat and running all over the place really takes its toll. And I know like last year or two years ago, um, Latvia, uh, small since Smedens had the same thing. They started jump setting and trying everything on two. Mm-hmm. And they went from, you know, top 10 to moving back in the world. And it's like there there has to be a, a happy medium. Like you can't come out and run that a whole match without making error after error you know, and getting tired and you you have to have the ball control. So, you know, I I find guys start to jump set and they tend to just overdo it and over try and it's going to get you in trouble in the long run. So there has to be a happy medium between that. Cool. So there's a couple, just a couple more questions and then we'll let you go. I know you got a 2.30 appointment. This is the one that everybody asked when we said we were interviewing you on social media. We said, um, would you love, this is what we want to know from John. (laughs) <laughs> your recovery secrets and rituals for your body and your health, because you're an absolute beacon for anybody who's over 35, who's like, ah, it's too late for me. And then everybody goes, look at Hayden, you know? Um, so you're, you're a hero to so many dads, just gentlemen, like older guys. You're like, wow, this, if they, if he can do it, why can't I, or how can I? So do you have uh, rituals that you go through absolutely every time you play and uh, your best recovery tips or secrets, uh, including lifting? You know, I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> so every single day I walked into my trainer, um, he said, how's the body feeling? You know, and it's like, oh, my shoulder's a little, or my hip or whatever it is. And then he would accommodate me by figuring out how to do it without hurting, right? When we're doing legs, if I'm having a leg issue, he's putting me on the ground. If my back is hurting, all right, we'll get your legs done, but you're going to be on the ground all day. You know, he was able to figure out everything. So every single day I go to the gym, I'm assessing what's going on with my body. You know, I have a plan. Uh, right now, if I go to the gym, I know it hurts and I know what I have to do to accommodate that. You know, you may have to skip a certain thing, but you can find another way of getting it done. So that's a big thing is knowing your body that way. I know if I had ice cream and cookies tonight, I can feel that. I can feel that the next day in my joints. So I know, I know how much my body needs of certain things and, and when I'm overing the the sweets or I'm not getting enough protein, I'm feeling a little lagging, stuff like that. So I've really found a way to understand my body a lot more. Um, and that kind of comes with age. I mean, we all know what's good for you and what's not, right? It's not good to go out and have a few beers and ice cream. It's okay. It's great to have chicken and salad, you know, whatever it is. But um, I think understanding your own body, because everybody's body works differently on different fuels. And that's what I figured out what my body feels best and works best on supplements. I'm, I'm always making sure I have um, the right supplements, I guess you could say, whether I, I have a concoction, my trainer put me on before everybody knew turmeric was a big thing. He had me on turmeric, boswellia and glucosamine all at one time working together. Uh, so I was taking that. I take a Hawaii bioastin uh, has astaxanthin in it. If you don't know what that is, look it up because I do feel like that really is out. Vitamin D, I'm making sure I get my vitamin D all the time. But, you know, there's a lot of these things. So who knows what's working best? I just know that I feel good when I'm on all of them. So I I keep doing it. If I am beat up, especially during tournaments after a Friday or a Saturday, I'm taking a nice bath no matter what. Key th- the biggest key things about playing at this age is surrounding yourself with a good team. My wife and my trainer are the biggest part of my team. If, I, if she sees me play all day, she's the first to go. I'll go to the store while you're getting work done and I'll get the ice and 50 pounds of ice and the ice bath is ready when I get back. You know, 
she does that for me. Oh, I come in, my back's killing me. She's working on my back, you know? So whatever it is, she's right there behind me. She knows this is our livelihood. She wants to continue her endless summer. So, <laughs> so she'll do whatever it takes to keep me healthy. And it's funny. And over these years, it's like, we we move a couple times and we got to move a dresser. And she's like, nope, John, sit down. Like she won't <laughs> move anything. She won't let me pick up boxes. She won't let me do this. It's pretty funny. So, you know, I have her behind me. And then obviously everything my trainer puts into it is, I mean, I can't, I can't do it without him for sure. Do you play? Do you continue to practice when you have a tweak? I heard from somebody at some point that, that said, like, if you feel like you've tweaked something, practice is over and we'll see John Hyden in three days after he's gone <laughs> to his trainer and, and fixed it. I don't know if that's true, but like, have, do you play when you feel like something's not quite right? Do you still practice? It, it really depends on what part of season, you know, uh, three years ago, I tore my calf in Chicago. Since then, I, it's really, it just comes and goes, comes and goes. So if I, if I'm out there training with, you know, now and I feel it, I'm like, Hey guys, I'm done. No problem. There's no reason for me to push through it. It's better to get healthy and come back two days later. Again, it's knowing your body and when you should say no. So uh, you got to look at the big picture there. Uh, I'll, I'll step out of practice. Oh, my back, dude. All right, guys, I'm done, which is usually pretty good because we have like five guys. So if I bow out, they can all play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it works out. The guys are around here that train with me. They know it. I mean, uh, I can say it. I'm old. <laughs> so so I got to be careful sometimes. Yeah, you don't play like it. Okay. Yeah. How many times do you practice? How many times do you play? You said the other day I practice. You guys, this is the first time in 10 years that I've practiced two days in a row. Which I was like, well, yeah, because dude's playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every weekend. So he gets his reps. <laughs> um, but what's, what's your formula for uh, days of lifting or, or gym work, even if it's not lifting? And I know you don't load your spine. You never, you never put uh, anything on, on your shoulders in terms of like squatting. Um, that's just something you and your trainer found. But what is your gym to practice ratio in preseason? And now, like right now, leading up six weeks before or whatever the first term is, uh, I'll go. I'd like to go three times a week. I like to do a Monday, Wednesday, Friday thing. Um, I don't like. I don't like to do back to back days. But you know, Logan's only out here for a certain amount of time, and we need to get together and we need to work on things. So, you know, last week I think we went three days in a row. <laughs> that about killed me. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> This week, you know, I told him we'll go Monday, we'll take Tuesday off, we'll go Wednesday and Thursday. So yeah, I like to do three days a week. Uh, And then in the gym, I pretty much the other three days and maybe a fourth, depending on if I want to get in, stretch, roll out, hit the sauna, you know, so I'm pretty much doing something every day. And I've always been a firm believer, even like when I was in LA training, I would hit my trainer three times a week and I'd hit the sand three times a week. And that's it. You know, that, that was my schedule. Hmm. It's weird that there's no built in rest day. I figured like there would be like a two days off or like, okay, I'll lift and practice on Monday, but then I'll just completely rest on Tuesday and then practice and cetera. But you don't have any full on rest days or do you count gym? I'll do sometimes as recovery. So, yeah. So the gym will sometimes be recovery. You know, like I said, I'm always talking to my trainer. So if I go out Monday and train on the beach Tuesday, I'm at, like, I'd train 10 to 10 to 12, nine to 12, whatever it was on the sand, but then I wouldn't hit him till Tuesday at like four or five o'clock. So that's a lot of rest in between right there. So, and then sometimes I walk in there and I'm like, man, you know, I'm pretty beat up and we would just do kind of a, a uh, stretch routine, um, some band work that wasn't too crazy. And that's, you know, that's not a gnarly workout. That's just like getting the kinks out of the body. So there are days like that, you know, I step in. So it's not like hard every time I'm lifting. Got it. Okay. So a, a gym day doesn't mean weights, doesn't yeah. mean squat rack and bench press and no, uh, and never, jumps never and bench press, but <laughs> <laughs> cool. My wife wanted to mention uh, one of the things, one of my sponsors, Seattle Gummy Company, they have these like mocha shots that are phenomenal. Quick energy. I, I had a, a couple of years ago in Chicago, beat up, just getting crushed down. We're in the loser's bracket, played matches all the time, right? 
And I was dying because obviously, again, joints being older, blah, blah, blah. And it was cold out. And I'm like, I'm beat. I don't know if I can play another game, right? And my trainer, she calls my trainer because that's what we do. What do we do? What do we do? He's he's going to die, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, get him some quick caffeine somehow, okay? Get it into him. Get it into She runs. And you know how far one side is from the other, North Avenue and Oak? Yep. Robin runs from... Uh, north all the way to Oak sees this tent that's handing out these things, little packets. It's Seattle gummy company. Right. And she's like, mocha shots. All right. What are these? And the guy explains it really quick. She runs all the way back. Right. Because the game's about to start. We, we start warming up and she goes, take these. And so each one has like equivalent to a cup of coffee. And I'm like, are they? it doesn't matter. Take them. Get, get this caffeine in me. And, and these things get into your system within five minutes. It doesn't take a long time. And usually I won't take much caffeine because I don't like jitters, but they don't give you jitters at all. It actually gives you more of a focus. And Mark, I swear, I felt like I was playing the first time for that day. Like once it got in my system, once that game started, I was like, wow, I feel great. Now, I shouldn't be giving all my secrets, but it is a sponsor of mine. From there, they were like, oh, my God, really? This is the story you have? So they like started talking to me, love the story. But I, I swear, man, this stuff is fantastic. But they also have, you know, recovery. They have um, melatonin ones. They have a bunch of other stuff that. I really like, but just want to put that, put that out there. Seattle gummy company. If you guys look it up, that stuff is really good. Nice. Saved your tournament. I love yeah, those. Yeah. It really did. If pickles had a, had one company. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I just wanted like a pickle sponsorship from somebody. <laughs> the yeah, amount no, of tournaments yeah. that those saved me. Well, uh, John Hyden, you can't thank you enough for sharing your knowledge, stopping by. And of course, let me stay in your house and, and training with you. You're a legend and uh, really, truly, it's so cool to be able to practice with you, to play with you and to try to listen in when you're when you're teaching Logan some stuff. I'm always trying to absorb and I think you're one of the model, not only athletes, but people that people should listen to follow. And as, as much as you don't throw everything on social media, I think people are starving to hear from you. And uh, I hope you do a bunch more interviews like this so that we can keep tugging all that knowledge out of you. Well, you know where to find me. It's guys like you that are like, will you do this? And my wife's standing right there going, yeah, <laughs> right. That's, that's literally how it happened. happened this morning. I was like, John, can you do a podcast? He looks left and Marvin's like, yeah, yeah, he's on. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate yeah. it. And uh, we will see you on the sand. All right. Thanks, bro. All right. Have a good one. Brandon, you want to stay and do a, a show wrap up? Sure. Awesome. I've said it before, but he's one of those people that I could I could listen to every single day of the week, no matter what. Yeah. You know, it's just uh, I was lucky enough when I first moved out here, um, you were getting the opportunity to, to play with him a decent or play against him a few times. So I got invited to a couple practices and then I was playing with Ty Trambley as well. And I got to go to some practices and he's just welcoming. You know, he's he's not scared to share his secrets. Um, he still holds back a little bit. You know, he's got to he make does. sure he's got that competitive edge because he is one of the most competitive people I've ever met in my life. But the fact that he is is giving back to the game and is willing to have these conversations it just it goes to show what kind of guy he is and if you see him at a tournament don't be scared go up say hi introduce yourself he's he, he's worth having the conversation with definitely definitely and um i mean he's got his own facility here hiding yeah. beach so people can come and hunt him down and and he talks about like yeah we're open for training we're open for camps people just need to reach out and mm -hmm. he's ready to be here and coach him on his six courts, which are really nice. Um, and it's just outside Nashville. So it's like, hey, why don't you just go to Nashville, which is a hot spot, you know, do the training first, then then get the party. Like come for a little Wednesday, <laughs> right. Thursday uh, for training. And then uh, after Friday afternoon, invite him out for a little beer and live music or something. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, to win for as long as he had and to, to have a style of volleyball where people literally name it after you, you know, like Karch is, is somebody who became more than a player. It wasn't just who he was. Like he became his own brand. Like Raji had a couple of shots. Like he had one specific swing that was his. And to say that like speed and spread offense are attributed completely to, to genre is just like, absolutely. Like, ah, oh, you like to run like Hayden. That's what it is. And, and we see the world now changing to adapt 
his style that he was one of the first ones to come out and do it. And uh, so many teams are coming out and doing just speed and spread and it's tough. You know, you have to find that line of, I like what he said. Do you have the control first? Mm -hmm. Because the basics have to come first. You have to be able to pass one free ball up and down before you can say, Hey, can I pass a short serve and gun it across the court so that my partner can cut it off? Like that takes an incredible amount of accuracy. So hit those basics first if you're out there and then start trying to find whatever offense or fancy or anything that that you need to run. But um, you're going to end up losing a lot of tournaments, a lot of points if you try to to go with the speed and the flow before you have your basics. Yeah. And then just being honest with yourself and realizing what type of player are you? You know, I used to have this conversation a lot with Freddie when I was setting and felt like we were forcing speed sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and I would be like, you know what? I get why I'm setting speed to Eric Lucas and Joe Norton, who are undersized outside. So when they're go- going up against these big blocks, like it made sense to go quick. Yeah. You know, but then when I'm setting people like Dentler and Quedal and all these other guys who are six eight, six nine, and jump really well, I was like, you know, I feel like we're forcing it with them and now they're making more errors than they need mm-hmm. to you know so i think being honest with yourself and realizing what type of player you are is, is really important i love that john said that and then being okay with stepping outside your comfort zone as well and trying trying new things you know and unfortunately i think in especially in the beach volleyball or in organized sport you mm-hmm. know when you reach your a really good level when you're in college but unfortunately, you're still looking behind you because there's somebody who wants to take your job. So you can't be too experimental because if you just go off the rails and start doing all this crazy stuff, then that person behind you might take your spot because you're going to be making some errors. Yeah. You know, and so it's kind of interesting. Like I feel I feel like I didn't really find who I was as a setter until I graduated college. Mm. You know, and it, it's it's just kind of interesting because then I had the freedom. You know, I, I knew I wasn't going to get taken out of the lineup. It's kind of interesting finding that balance of experimenting, but also not going crazy and just mm-hmm. adding to your game as you can. And I think my three favorite parts were trying to get somebody to run his offense, but then finding the compromise in the middle. Yes. You know, and saying like, okay, we tried it, we tried it, we tried it. It's just not happening for us. So where's our next step? Um, not giving up too early on it. Mm-hmm. but trying there. I like when he said that when you're winning, when you're starting to reach the top, that's when it's time to hit the accelerator. And yeah. in my mind, I was like, yeah, I, I, I started thinking of the Norwegian guys where you start becoming number one and winning tournaments. And now everybody's paying attention to you. Everybody is watching film on you. So the target on your back, the scouting reports on you, people have the most stats on you. When you start feeling little bits of success, now it's time to squeeze that throttle and like just go. And then the interesting part was there's this Instagram kind of reel going around where Kobe says, he goes, you know, I chose my training plan at the beginning of summer. I don't compromise. It doesn't matter how I feel that day. It doesn't matter what I do. And then we have a legend in another sport who says, every day I assess how I'm feeling and how I'm going to do it. You know, so there are multiple ways to be successful, to be physical, to be a great athlete. And you got to find what works for you. And if it was Kobe, who's got a team of people protecting his body, you know, but to say that I'm assessing my body and okay, I can push harder today or you know what? I'm in the gym. This has now just become a recovery day or a light movement day. And that's how he lasts. And that's how he survives. And that's how he thrives. I think people can take a lot from that when they're looking at their training programs and routines and say, how does my body feel today? What can I do to get it done without testing the parts of me that are weak right now? Yeah. And then I think last thing I want to say is probably my favorite moment of this whole episode was when he talked about how he chose to play with Triborn. Hmm. And the one thing that caught his eye was how after practice, Tri went to his, his backpack. I still want to call it a book bag. Backpack, grabbed a notebook and started writing down what he learned that day. Like if you're a young player and you heard that, And you, at your next practice, if you don't pull out a notebook and write something down in it, 
then you don't care. Like it's hard. And, uh, and mm-hmm. I'm guilty as well. You know, I, I, I'm literally looking, my mom got me this notebook for my birthday and I still haven't written a single thing in it. <laughs> um, and so, and like, and I, I've been going through these struggles recently of like, Oh, I, I want to find that top player. I want, I want to make sure this happens. Yeah. And, and just that little key of writing down what you learned that can catch somebody's eye and, and make, and obviously make you into the player that you want to be. So I think that a lot of people need to take, take away that point of the show. Definitely. And uh, last note, guys, um, just like us, John runs training. And uh, number one, he, he didn't mention it on camera, but he's looking for coaches. He's looking for people who want to learn the game and want to learn to teach the game. If that sounds like you, find a way to reach out to the social media team. Just send a message to Hyden Beach on Instagram. Uh, if you're interested in organizing a private camp or you're going to be in Nashville and you want to check out his place and get in some training, same thing. Shoot that message to uh, at Hyden Beach and somebody will be there uh, helping him out. He's got he's got a great social media manager and uh, they will they will get you going and get you training. So if you want to learn the game, whether you're a coach uh, and you want to learn how to run John's system uh, or you just want to get your own training and and come and learn from him uh, or have him travel to you. I know he's got something set up in Sarasota where a team invited him to go to them. Uh, people can reach out to uh, at Hyden Beach on Instagram, shoot that message, and he'll be stoked to go and share the game and share his knowledge. Thanks. All right, I'm going to Atlanta, then I'm going to Florida, and we got our camp in Tampa. Hey, drive safe, baby. Yeah, I will. I'll see you in a couple couple days, Rumi. <laughs> All right, Rumi. All right. Guys, see you on the sand. See you on the sand, guys.